All right, so today I'm going to be continuing this series that we're doing on being wholehearted. And uh, this is one that uh, I'm, I'm at the halfway point here, right? So this, this is a four-part series. I've done part one and part two already, and now we're going to do part three and part four and bring this one to a conclusion. But here's, here's the recap of where this has gone. So in the first two of these messages on being wholehearted, what we're focusing on is that commandment that comes from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Deuteronomy. It's what the Old Testament Israelites called the Shema. It was that prayer that tradition holds all good Israelite people would recite this every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So we we started with that. And we noted within that that this is not a categorical checklist for how to love God, but, but this is rather a picture or a recipe for being wholehearted. That we are created by God with all of these features, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we've noted in those first two messages the way in which we as people live fractured and broken and torn lives, right? This wholeheartedness, this coming together of everything God has created us to be as people with heart and soul and mind and strength, we are people who find cracks within us with those things, that our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength struggles to hold together as one whole piece, in that way, that we find the anxieties and tensions pulling away at that. We've noted that in those first two messages. And if you, if you miss those, if you want to hear more about that, they're all on our website. You can go back and you can find those things there. We've come then to this place of recognizing that we, as much as we see examples in Scripture of being wholehearted, we often lack or fail to be the wholehearted people that God has created us to be. So we're working through what it means then to be wholehearted, to have that together, to know how it is that God has created us to be that way and then to live in that way. So today we're going to move forward within that, and I'm going to be reading a few verses that come from the end of 1 Thessalonians. This is a New Testament letter of the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to the Christians who were living in the village of Thessaloniki, and it's, it's coming from the end of the letter. Now, a, a few things about this then, that letters, as they wrote it back then, much like letters maybe that we write today, have some form and feature to them, right? There's an introduction, there's a conclusion, there's a middle part, and the Apostle Paul does that that he writes letters and it has the hello section and then what he's there to talk about and then the goodbye section. But the Apostle Paul is a genius at tucking the themes of his letters into the hello and the goodbye. So even though it's just meant to be a conclusion, hey, till next time, see you later, Paul, goodbye. Even though that's sort of the intent, Paul always tucks something of what he's really writing about in there. And we're going to see some of that feature here today. So that's where this comes from. 1 Thessalonians 5, it's the end of the letter. But Paul is hinting at a few things that maybe bring up the themes from before, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to start at verse 16. He says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Wholeheartedness. And what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this. Let let me give a little context around this, because as I mentioned, this, this comes from the very end of that letter to the Thessalonians. So, so there's some context required here because Paul is pulling at some of the themes that take place earlier in the letter. And I'm not going to read all five chapters. It doesn't take that long, but in your free time, you can do that to see what Paul has to say to the church there. But how he pulls that together here in this place, in this ending, and what it means for us to be wholehearted people. Consider what that looks like. So not only am I just pulling something from the end of this letter, but if, I mean, you you see it maybe on the screen there or the way it's printed in your bulletin, but if you happen to have a Bible open, you'll notice that I kind of dropped right in the middle of a paragraph. That I didn't even start at, at where that whole conclusion comes from, but I jumped right into the middle of it, and, and that's on purpose. That's by design. So I want to point out some of the features of how Paul is writing this so that it makes sense and so that we can then pull out from that this wholeheartedness that Paul has wrapped up in these words, okay? So actually, that whole conclusion to the letter, the way the verses break down, begins back at verse 12. So verse 12 is where it begins, but I didn't read that. I jumped in at verse 16 because verses 12 through 15, which are also some of those parting instructions, right? But those first verses in verses 12 through 15 are all instructions that talk about relationships with one another. This is about your interaction with one another. Those were the first verses. I didn't read that. Then, where I dropped in at verse 16, it switches. It's still a list of instructions, but now they're different. Now they're not about interacting with one another, but now it's about interacting with God. And here is how you are to live with God in verses 16 and following. There's another feature in that, that if you're looking at that as it's at least printed in your bulletin or you see it in a Bible, that All of a sudden, at verse 16, the verses get really chopped, right? Short, like two-word verses kind of short. The the translators, when they put verses in there, I think did this on purpose to catch the nature of how Paul writes this in Greek. Because in Greek, all of a sudden, this writing style changes. And if you were to read it in Greek, it wouldn't come across as complete sentences, but all of a sudden in verse 16, it becomes like a bullet list. And that's how the the translators, I think, have tried to identify that just by dropping verse numbers all over the place in there, by breaking it up. You notice that, how it goes there. Verse 16 is two words, rejoice always. 17, two words, pray continually. 
and on and on from there. So there's this list that comes into play, that Paul is giving this bullet list. The first three items on that list are things that he's telling people, you should do this, this is good. And then, on the fourth item, he changes it, and and here's what you don't do. This is bad, right? Don't quench the Spirit. Or if you've got a, a different translation, maybe your Bible says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. That's all kind of gathering at that same thing that Paul's talking about there, what he means by that. But he says in that then, what he's talking about is something that is not smothering the work of the Holy Spirit. If you think about that. And, and the way that comes across in Greek, you know, Paul is not making this like a, um, like a suggestion. Oh, by the way, this is something you should try to avoid. No, no, no. The way that Paul writes that, almost has more of the force of, you know what, you're already doing this and knock it off. Stop it. That's sort of the force behind it. That what he's saying there is, stop smothering the work of the Holy Spirit among you. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit as it exists around you and within you and among you. And then, and then the following verses from 16 there. Or, I'm sorry, the following verses from where he picks that up with the Holy Spirit, from verse 19, 20, 21, 22. All of those things then, I would say, are examples, or if it's a bullet list, subpoints. Subpoints of not quenching the Spirit. And he talks about prophecies and testing and receive what is good and reject what is evil. All of those examples of how to not quench or smother the Holy Spirit. Prophecies. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. I think there's a piece here that we should understand as well of what Paul means by prophecy. Because when, when we hear the word prophecies, maybe a lot of different things come into mind, right? Prophecies, oh, it's predictions of the future, right? It, it's sort of that end time stuff. That prophecies sometimes come that way. Prophecies, those things that need to be fulfilled in the future. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about prophecy, has a pretty narrow focus. And it's not about that. It's not about future predictions of things to come. You don't see it here in 1 Thessalonians, but I'm, I'm going to grab here from one of Paul's other letters. This comes from 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 He writes about it this way. He says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's what Paul says about prophecy. Prophecy are words from God that give strength, encouragement, and comfort. All right, this is helpful. This is helpful because in this discussion then of what Paul has to say about, you know what, here's how I want you to live. I want you to live as people who stop smothering the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that God gave you, the Spirit that lives in you, the Spirit that works among you. Stop smothering that. And do that by making sure that you are people who address one another, speak to one another, live with one another in ways that strengthen encourage, comfort one another. And so as he goes on then to say things like test test that, 
take what is good, reject what is evil, right? There, there's instruction in that. That as we engage with other people, as, that, as we engage with one another, where we see strengthening and encouraging and comforting that comes from the word of God, that we embrace these things. These things are good. And we attribute that then to the Spirit, that God provides those things, right? But the opposite is also true. Reject what is evil. When there are examples where maybe we find ways that we interact with other people and it's not encouraging, it's not comforting, but yet somehow we attribute those things to God, that's wrong. That that is an example then of smothering or quenching the Holy Spirit at work among us. All these things that Paul brings into this, right? Verses 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. All these concluding pieces that are pulling on these themes and wrapping up this letter that he has to the church there. And then, let's turn that towards wholeheartedness. What it means for us to be wholehearted people. This might then look a bit overwhelming. All right. I know I'm a person who doesn't get it all right. I know I'm a person who's torn and broken and fractured on the inside. I know I want to be a person who lives wholeheartedly again, that heart, soul, mind, strength. I want that all put back together. I know I want to live that way, but this just feels overwhelming. I mean, all these things that Paul is talking about here. Rejoice always. What about times when I don't feel very joyful? Pray continually. What about times when I just don't know what to pray about? Give thanks in all circumstances. What about times when I'm just not feeling grateful? How do I do that? And then all of this thing about quenching the Spirit, attributing to God the good and rejecting the evil and always having to step and be careful that I don't, without meaning to, I don't misrepresent God through His Holy Spirit. That's a lot. That's overwhelming. How do I do this? I mean, okay, it's no wonder we struggle then to be people who are wholehearted. This just looks really hard. How do we do this? But what if we've got that wrong? What if, what if we've got that backwards, right? What if Paul is not, in these verses, describing the ingredients that go into becoming wholehearted, but rather he's describing the fruit that we bear as a result of being wholehearted, right? What if, we'll put the question this way, what if wholeheartedness is not so much about doing something, but rather is about being something? Not doing something, but being something. That, that's a little bit of a head-scratcher. I don't get it. What do you mean, be something but not do something? We struggle with that. 
We struggle with that because we, we are people in our culture and our, in our society who are all about doing. Everything for us is about doing, producing, having results, having something to show for it. Everything that we do leans in that direction, right? You, you talk to anyone and you get to know them. Hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me, what do you do, right? And so they'll talk about their job, my job, this is what I do, or if they're retired, this is how we fill our time, or the hobbies that we have, this is how we do things. And it's all about doing and doing and doing. And, you know, even in some of those other things that maybe are more about the fun and the play of, yeah, I'm on this sports team in a rec league, and what's your record? Because it's about winning, what we do, what we produce, what we show for it, right? And we're all about doing we're not always so good at being, apart from the doing. So how do we understand that? What, what does that look like? Well, you know, let me give a couple examples of being, just to help us think about this, okay? Here's one, all right? You are forgiven by God. You are forgiven. There is nothing you do about that. Like, you can't make that happen. You can't do your own forgiveness. All you can, all you have is to be forgiven. It's part of who you are. But you haven't done anything. But it's still part of who you are. To be forgiven. That's an example of being apart from doing. But, But notice this. We struggle with that, don't we? Don't we struggle with that? I mean, often at some point, or some people very often struggle with accepting their own forgiveness to be forgiven. But, but how can I be forgiven? I, I haven't done the right things, or I'm, I'm not the right kind of person, or I, I have nothing of significance to, to offer that brings this relationship back in store again. So how can I be forgiven if I haven't done anything? And so we struggle to accept that forgiveness because we're so stuck on doing something, right? But to get to that place where we simply accept, it's not about me doing, but it, it's about me being, right? And that's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel that you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. You already have his forgiveness to be forgiven. That's one. Here's another one. You are loved by God. Loved by God. You cannot make anyone love you. I mean, that just doesn't happen. I mean, you think about maybe that significant other, that, that person that maybe you, you want to romanticize and have that relationship with. And you think about that relationship, that relationship of love, and everything that you would do to, to try to make that relationship come together. At some point, you cannot make another person love you. You can't do that. All you have is to be Loved, to accept that, to receive that. And how much more so with God? Because with God, you have always been loved since before you were born. 
It's not something you do. It is part of who you are to be loved. And sometimes, sometimes like forgiveness, we, we struggle to really accept that. Right? There are some people who would go on about and think, but I'm just not a lovable person. There's no reason for anybody to love me because I'm just not lovable. I haven't done what's necessary. Or maybe what I have done is so awful that I can't be loved. So we refuse to accept that, right? We struggle with embracing some of that identity that we have from God of being loved because we still somewhere in our mind have this list of, but what do I have to do, right? What's the list of doing that goes with this? At some point, though, at some point, our identity, the reality of who we are as people of God does not rest at all on anything that we do. But it's what God has done. And all we have is to be, to be loved, to be forgiven, and embrace that as part of who we are. So then, what... What if wholeheartedness fits with that? That it's less about all these things that I have to do, but in some way it's about something to be, something that God provides. Here's where I'm tracking with that because we've looked at these verses that come from Paul at the end of 1 Thessalonians. I've looked at verses 16 through 22 with all that list right there, right? Do this, do this, do this. Make sure that you don't quench the spirit. Make sure that you test these prophecies. Take the good, reject the evil. All this do, 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 do. All the things on that list. But then where does it go? What does he say next? Right, the very next verse that Paul says after all this list of what looks like things to do. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It turns from this list that looks like all these things to do into, but God does this. Right? I mean, all those things that we saw on that list before, that rejoicing always, pray continually, if God is the one who makes us wholehearted people, then, then all those other things, those are the fruit, the byproduct, the result. It's what comes out of that, not what has to build into it. Because God is the one who's at work in this. God is the one who's making this happen. God is the one. And you see that Paul is rather emphatic about that, the way he writes this verse, right? God himself, the God of peace. He's the one who's doing this work and making this happen. And he will sanctify you through and through. All right, there, there's a word play going on here. It, at least in the Greek language, it's a word play between sanctification, which also, uh, as we have that, it 
could be translated as holiness or to be made holy. It's the Greek word hagios, right? So God himself will sanctify you or make you holy, hagios, through and through. Well, that's an English idiom. Maybe you've got an English Bible that instead of through and through, it says completely or entirely. Or that's the Greek word holoklesis, and it means whole. So God will make you, or God will sanctify you, wholly. Or, you know what, if you put that in English, it's not, it's not only a wordplay, it's a homophone. So, I mean, if I were to translate that verse literally as it comes from Greek, I would say like this, and I have to put it on the screen because you have to read it for it to make sense, not just to have me say it, right? God himself, the God of peace, will make you holy, holy. But two different kinds of holy there. You get that? That's what God does. That our wholeheartedness, that the way that we come together as people that live within ourselves in a harmony of heart, soul, mind, and strength, God is the one who does that work in you. God is the one who makes that happen, that God provides that for us. And we then are people who receive it. So if God is the one who gives us wholeheartedness, all we have to do is receive it, to be wholehearted people. Then, then when that healing sanctification begins to take place, when, right, when God begins to make you holy, holy, then fruit starts to show up. We bear the fruit of the Spirit through that. Then we become people who find ourselves rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. We find ourselves to be people who don't quench or smother the Spirit, but attribute to the Spirit all that is good, encouraging, strengthening, comforting, that all of those things come to us then in ways that show us the fruit of being wholehearted. Not trying to do wholeheartedness, but being wholehearted. It shows up in our lives that way. We accept that then as God's invitation. An invitation to be whole. So, as I've said the first week and the second week in this series, that command that Jesus gives, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is a command that actually comes to us as an invitation. An invitation to be whole. Now, there, there's one more message to go on this, right? One more week to go. Because this is still leaving us in a bit of a place where maybe you, and I'll put myself in there too, because there are certainly times when, when I think, okay, that sounds wonderful. I would love to be someone who is wholehearted so that all of the stresses and anxieties that I see within my own fractured and torn person can find healing. Yeah, I want that. But I don't always 
see it or recognize it. I mean, you're telling me that God does this for me and all I have to do is receive it and be that. Yes, I want that, but how? How do I get that? How do I receive that? How does that take shape? Well, we're out of time for today, but this is where we'll end it next week, right? Next week we'll come back and next week we'll finish this message on wholeheartedness with one question and one question only. How to cultivate wholeheartedness. Cultivate it. You know, we can't do our own wholeheartedness, but is there any way that we can cultivate or nurture or grow wholeheartedness? The answer is yes, there is. We can. But you have to come back next week for that part, right? So we go this week with that invitation to be whole in God. And we return to cultivate that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the reminder that you give us that in all of these ways that we live as your people, that we confess, yes, we get stuck in trying to make this a list of things that we have to do instead of recognizing that these are the ways that bear the fruit of your Spirit. Help us to embrace that, that we may accept who it is that you've made us to be, forgiven, loved, and whole. May we find rest in that, and may you then work through us to transform us into your people. From the inside all the way out, may we be your people, wholehearted. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.